0: I'd like to talk this morning about finding your voice. This is still, we're in the Soul of the Artist series, finding your voice. Uh, This topic matters to me a lot because I've noticed as I've gone along in life, there were seasons where I came into an upgrade in my relationship with Jesus, and I realized that he had designed me with things to do in the world, and that I wasn't thinking like he was thinking, and as a result, I was silencing my voice. I was, I was, not functioning for his kingdom in, in all the ways I was meant to because I didn't see myself or people clearly enough to operate in that. And I've noticed as a pastor that sometimes people uh, come to me and they say, hey, Tim, can you tell the church about this thing that I'm really excited about? And I would say, well, you're the one who's excited about it. You should be the one to tell them about it. And they say, sometimes, not everyone, sometimes, they say, Nobody's going to listen to me. But Tim, if if you make the announcement, everyone will listen. Well, first off, I've made announcements for a lot of years now, and I've noticed that not everyone's going to listen to every announcement, no matter who makes it. Just throwing that out there. But I say, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why do you think that my voice is powerful and your voice is weak? Why Why do you think that I have influence and a voice and you're whispering no matter how loud you shout. Somebody taught you that. That belief that your voice is not powerful, that your voice is not relevant, that your voice is not going to influence and achieve much, that belief came from somewhere in your life. Somebody taught you that. And it's a lie. So fly your own flags. I've got mine already. My my flagpole's full. Yours has space for the things you're supposed to fly. And... You're supposed to be the one championing, championing the causes the Lord's placed as important in your heart and life. Your voice is powerful, whether you believe that or not. So I'm very uh, committed to this idea of teaching people who they are in Christ, including myself, learning who I am in Christ. And along that way of the journey, we come into a deeper understanding of God's design for us. When, when we start out, anything the first step is to learn the basic building blocks of of the activity and in life that's true as well not just in learning how to read we learn the alphabet hey it's nice to see you it's great to see you. it's great hi <laughs> it's true in music we learn the rudiments drummers even practice the rudiments anyone ever had to practice drum rudiments before yes and those are not fun to practice are they they're very boring Ever ever anyone ever have to practice scales on the piano? Is that fun? No, it's not fun. But rudiments and scales, when you when you get those deep down into your fingers and your muscle memory, when you actually want to play something expressive from your heart, if you have those skills in your hands, you can get them out. And if you don't have those skills in your hands, you can't get them out. So one of the things we do when we're learning to find our voice before we found it is we copy We copy our heroes. We emulate what someone else is doing, and that's fine. That's valid. That's the first stage of finding your voice: is learning how to copy the voices that you love and appreciate and admire. I remember back when I was uh, a little younger, when I preached, I definitely preached in a preacher voice. Anybody know what I'm talking about up in here this morning? Aha! Amen. My preacher voice was less Caucasian than I am because those were the preachers I liked. I preferred black preaching. It just they seemed more passionate. I don't know. There was a Ned Flanders thing that a lot of the white guys were, that I knew were doing. And Hi, diddly-ho there, neighbor. The Lord be with you. And I was like, I don't want to be that guy. I'd rather be the like T.D. Jakes and yelling and carrying on. And I would put that thing on when I preached. Sometimes when I get really worked up or the Spirit comes on me, you might hear me yell to this day. But what I'm saying is I can look back and see specific times where the message was good, but I was still copying my heroes rather than speaking from my own self with my own voice. And then I didn't know that I was doing that. It was actually my my friends in college that came to me. Sit down. Miller, why you talk like that? What? You don't talk like that in normal life. Why are you talking like that? Well, I talk like that when I'm praying by myself. Because I even put the preacher voice on when I was praying by myself. You know what I mean? It's the preacher voice. My wife's like, don't you talk to me in your preacher voice. Don't you talk to me in your preacher voice. Get the finger up. Mm-mm. This little, this finger is really powerful. It's like a sword and a shield and a spear. And I go, mm mm, mm. See, Dawn? It's really powerful. <laughs> okay. But first we copy till we learn the rudiments. But once, once we copy and we can, we can kind of find the playing field, there's an established playing field, once we do that, then we can start to improvise and find those little areas where it's like, actually, if I'm honest, I kind of want to change this. I want to do this differently over here. Like, for example, when I went to Global Awakening and we were learning about praying for the sick and healing, uh, Randy Clark, who I just love and respect so much, taught us about words of knowledge for healing little tidbits of information the Holy Spirit will drop into your consciousness, and then you'll know who to pray for. Wow, that's so cool. And, but they were limiting it to physical healing. And I thought, well, if the Lord can do physical healing, which is relevant, then surely he can do emotional healing and mental healing, which seems even more important. And I thought, you know, I want this words of knowledge thing, but I kind of want it for a holistic perspective. Now, that would be me kind of personalizing that thing. Anyway, so we first learn by copying. Pablo Picasso, anybody know Pablo's paintings? They don't look normal, do they? Well, they look normal to him. They're weird, is that what I heard? Have you seen any of his realism? Has any of his like drawings where it's like photorealistic? Like The fruit looks like fruit, the hand looks like a hand, the face looks like a face? Picasso said, learn the rules like a pro. So that you can break them like an artist. He's just saying the same thing I'm trying to say. The first thing we have to do is learn the, the basic skills. So, okay, have you ever seen somebody who can't paint so that they pretend that they're like an impressionist? It's modern art, you know, like this is, this is you know. A two-year-old in a bucket and pours it on there and is like, I'm Jackson Pollock. No, you're not. you're not. Pollock? 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 Whatever. However that's pronounced. He's like, "I'm not Polish." But Picasso, when it looks weird to you, it's not because he can't do it any better. He could make it look so realistic, it's photorealistic. That's not what he But his skills have been developed so that now the the, the vision in his heart, he can get it out on the page. So first we learn the basic building blocks and that's okay, we copy And then we personalize once we have the skills of expressiveness. And it's a lifelong thing. I'll talk more about that later, probably. So when we get to the personalization stage, this is where Pablo Picasso has another great quote. And he says, um, good artists copy, great artists, do you know this one? Steal. Good artists copy, great artists steal. Steal. What does he mean? If you copy one person in a term paper, that's called what? Plagiarism, and you will not pass. You may get in trouble. You you could get kicked out of your college for that. That can ruin your career. People People on Twitter will eviscerate you if they catch you doing that in a speech. And they probably should. But anyway, copy one person, and it's plagiarism. But what if you copied 10 people and blend them together? What's that called? That's called innovation. Copy one person verbatim, plagiarism, get off the stage. Copy 10 people and combine them in in the ways that make sense to you, that's actually your voice. That's your voice. No one else would have, first off, liked the exact same influences you liked And secondly, no one else would have combined them the way you combined them. But you probably don't even know you just did it. I was teaching the other week at Gateway DTS on crossing over and switching scripts. And Butch and Tammy, independently of each other, came to me and said, you need to write that as a book. And I was like, why? And they're like, you say that message that you said tonight clearer and more uniquely than anyone else we've ever heard. And I'm like, really? That's news to me. I didn't know that. So, thanks for the assignment there. I don't really feel like writing that book, but. Um. What's this all about? If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul presents this, this metaphor for the people of Jesus, where he, where he compares the people of Jesus to the human physical body. And he says, every single one of the parts of the human body. Is unique, important, and necessary. No part is disqualified because it's not front and center. No part is disqualified because it's not like the other parts. In fact, the opposite is the truth. Oftentimes, I'm different, I don't fit in becomes something that we do, or you're different, you don't fit in, or you we're not the same, I'm right, you're wrong, or I'm wrong, you're right. Comparison, which is meant to be a wonderful tool to enjoy differences, comparison can be a beautiful thing. If we compare each other's personalities or sense of humor, like Garth and I could sit there and we could compare, and we could laugh about the differences and enjoy each other. Or we could compare in a very destructive way. One of us has to be valid. I worked for a guy who there was a right way to do things. He said that out loud. He was like, there is a right way to do things. There's a right way to load the dishwasher. There's a right way to wash your car. There's a right way to tie your shoes. There's a right way to paint this wall. There's a right way to load scaffolding into the back of my truck. Well, guess whose way was the right way? One day he left me alone for four hours and he came back and he was blown away by how much I accomplished. I accomplished so much more than he thought I would without him Hovering over me, micromanaging me in a dishonoring fashion. Because when I tried to do work his way, how many of you think I was just as fast or slower than if I did it my way? I was slower doing it his way. And I didn't do it his way, did I? He gave me an extra hundred bucks on that job because I was so fast. Never happened again because he never left me alone again so that I could actually work well again. Dude was a great a jerk. Yeah, I said it. He knows I love him. Hey, oh, like, here's kind of annoying things he would do. I'd be holding the board, I'd be like, here's here's a two by four, not two by four. I'm holding the header in place so he can screw it in place. He says, Hold it. I'm like, I'm holding it as out as I can. Push it. Get it flush. He's chuckling, walking away, I go, What are you doing? And he goes, I screwed that thing two minutes ago. <laughs> Dang it. Punk. But there's a right way to do things. Sometimes, and there's not. There's not. There's a hundred million right ways to do things. And some of them are more effective than others. But there's tons of wrong ways to do things, and there's tons of right ways to do things. And the minute we start to think that the way I do things is the right way to do things, most of the time we've elevated personality to the level of God's law, or a cultural norm to the level of God's law. But in the light of Jesus... It just gets revealed as nothing more than just how we do things locally, or how you do things, or how we did it in your family. How many of you take your shoes off when you come into the house? I wish somebody would at my house, because the carpet shows the difference. But in the body of Christ, there's as many ways to do things as there are people. Because... And, and not only that, we're, we're not just saying each of us looks different and, and thinks a little different. Literally, the Holy Spirit will inspire each of us with a different mindset. Because each of us has a different task, we have a mindset that comes from the Holy Spirit to achieve that task that we were designed for. As I was praying about this this week, the Lord was like, hey, remember those groundhogs up in the hills that live in the rocks? And you know those little, those little chipmunks and you know the birds? And he starts talking to me about all the creatures and he says, each creature was designed with a set of mindsets and aptitudes to thrive in the environment it was designed for. You take that thing out of its environment and it has a hard time adapting. But raccoons, they adapt. Anyway, so that's, the Lord likes a lot of creatures. But we are the same way. When you encounter someone else in the body of Christ, they have a unique mindset. It's not going to be like your mindset. And the challenge together is to learn how to honor and enjoy the difference, how to value the difference, instead of, in my insecurity, have a need to disqualify that which seems threatening to me. The person who shuts their voice down has insecurity issues. The person who puffs up their importance has insecurity issues. I didn't like how it felt to do that with the chest. That was weird. Should I have not said that out loud? <laughs> Brian, <laughs> I love your smile, dude. How many of you, when you hear your voice on a recording, say this? Ew, do I sound like that? I've gotten over that like a long time ago because my voice is on recordings and I hear it and I go, okay, that's how I sound. But that is so common. And, a, and, and the same is true in life that many times when we first start to use our voice, We hear it, and we go, Ew, do I sound like that? But of course, everyone around you already knows you sound like that, and they say, of course you do. What's the problem? Sometimes other people have a keen sense of your function in the body of Christ. Um, I'm trying not to get things all out of order. One of the cool stories where it highlights, where the scriptures highlight the importance of you finding and operating in your voice is the very, very famous story of David fighting Goliath. And of course, what's the first thing that Saul tries to offer David? If you're going to fight a giant, you should wear my armor. Of course, what does he end up using? Doug actually sort of preached on this a few weeks back in here. He ends up using his sling and some stones that he found while he carefully selected. Now, do I need to point out that Saul's armor wasn't even working for Saul? Okay, I'll point it out. Saul's armor wasn't even working for Saul. Here's something ineffective, but tradition says we ought to do. (laughs) Try that. So here's 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 the big deal about that that love that is your voice. Not only does it not not only is it the only thing you're capable of really doing, it's powerful. He. So here's a. I have two questions for you. I think. Let me see how. I'm going to ask you some questions. I don't know how many. What is your sling? What are, is your sling and your stones? What are, the, what, are the, what are the lion and the bear that God has called you to defeat in private out of intimacy with him? You know what I'm talking about. There are obstacles in your way. There are things in front of you that you want to see victory in. You want to see freedom in. You want to see wholeness in. There are things that you sense as blocking your way in life. What are are your lion and your bear that you are called out of intimacy with the Lord to defeat? Because what I think is, as you find the victory over that out of intimacy with Jesus, that tool that that the Lord put in you or that truth that he gives you to overcome that, that ends up being your sling. That ends up being your sling and your stones. And that thing that you then have authority where your voice begins to carry authority for the sake of others even in public because it's also found freedom for you in private. I guess what I'm saying is you, you develop your voice in intimacy with Jesus. And the renewed mind and the intimacy and the transformation of heart provides that, those actual five smooth stones, the content, the concrete skills that become the thing where... And, and here's why. Um, you, we, I was going to say you, but I'm going to say we, we don't really find where we fit in until we find where we're meant to stand out. This is why the body metaphor is so important. Conformity is not... Community. In many, many communities, in order to find belonging and acceptance, how many of you want belonging and acceptance? I feel like the the, the desire for belonging is so deep, we we will just about pay any price to find it. And if we don't have it, I mean, we are aching for a quest and a tribe, every one of us, aching for a quest and a tribe. Some people have found their quest, but they haven't found their tribe. Some people have a tribe, but they're not on their quest. Some people have neither. But we are aching for community. In fact, we ache for it so bad. We ache for belonging so bad. Many of us are willing to shut our voice down and conform to the group in order to belong. But I'm telling you, your real community will draw your uniqueness out of you. And refuse to let you bury it. Refuse to let you do what Gideon does, where he's hiding in a wine press from the enemy he's called to defeat. You see, you know he has insecurity and doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know the Lord well enough to find himself in Jesus. Because what we're after here is not ego, we're not after self for the sake of self. We're not after finding our voice because we're, we're just like that idea of me and mine and my self-exploration and self-expression and self and me. And wow, is there a mirror? I look amazing. Oh, no, I look terrible. That's not why we want to find our voice. We want to find our voice because we want to make our mark on the world and fulfill our calling and bring glory to the name Jesus. We want to do what we were created to do. That's why we want to find our voice. Why don't we go ahead and play the bird song clip? Uh, I put together a little video. Now, here's the deal before you hit play, uh, I think I have like as many as 12 or 15 birds or something like that. Now, the goal is I want you to see if you recognize the voice of each of these birds. And just a warning they're not all pretty. The bird's pretty, the voice, not so much. Did anyone guess that? Bam, chickadee, dee, dee, dee. All right, right, pause it, pause it. Okay, so that's the crow. All right, so my boys came into the room. When I started playing this video, the cat, Kevin, he flew into the room, (laughs) leapt leapt up onto the desk, slid across the mouse pad, and like stuck up against the speaker and was trying to figure out, how do I get to the tasty morsels? (laughs) Then Junior comes running in, the other cat, he comes running in. He jumps up there, and he's crawling around trying to figure it out too. And I was like, oh, man, you guys... The crow, what what did we say the crows sound like they're yelling the whole time? That's it, pretty much. Okay, continue with the video. They like Mate for Life. Yeah, I like these guys. got a red head and a white belly. Why do they call it a red belly? Woodpecker. Calm oh, down. They swarm your yard and then they all do that at the same time. It's like overwhelming. A nice slap across the head who, to whoever named that word. Okay. So, each bird has their own voice, and then they each have a range of songs that they sing. Now, I didn't, put a, I didn't put several birds up there who are really gifted at copying other birds' songs. And usually when other birds copy other birds' songs, they're up to no good. They're stealing things. They're, do you hear what I'm saying? Birds that are just copying other birds' voices are up to, are up to no, they're up to nefarious purposes. But there's something really, really important about not only us finding our voice, but singing our songs. There are truths that because you've walked in intimacy with the Lord and you found freedom in them, that you have more authority. To give away those things than other people. There are themes of your life, things where you have favor, where you have strength that's unique to who you are, that you speak about it effortlessly, that you give it away, and you do it in a sense effortlessly. When Kim Borowski was with us, I remember her saying, Oh, hearing God is the easiest thing, so we don't even need to talk about that. Everyone can just hear God. Hearing God's the easiest thing. And I was laughing. She didn't even, she wanted to give it no time, you know even though she taught on the whole prophetic thing, she's like, this is the easiest thing in the world to do just to teach people to hear God. And I thought, that is such an indication that that's her shape. That's actually her spiritual gift. She's prophetic. There are some people who would be angry at how easy (laughs) she she feels like it is, but it is for her. Okay, so the goal is in finding our voice is to let our inner voice and our outer voice voice, match. And I think even that's a lifelong process. Does that make sense, inner voice and outer voice matching, that if you're a different person on the inside than on the outside, there's still growth to do. What I've noticed is when I'm improvising, my sense of humor is present. But when I'm not improvising, it just gets edited out. So in my writing, and this is something I'm not sure how to access yet, in my writing, my sense of humor is just missing. And I think that's a really bad thing. Because I'm a pretty intense dude, and without that sense of humor, it's a little hard to handle. It's a God-given seasoning that's meant to be there, but I haven't yet figured out how to get it into my writing. So that's something I I really want Grace to, to try to figure out how to do. When um, when people don't like their voice, they often disqualify their voice. And, and there's three kind of ways that I think we do this. Sometimes we say, well, we, we're disqualified because of what we don't know, what we can't do, or what we haven't experienced. Well, I don't, I, don't, I don't know how to do that. I don't have that. I haven't been trained for that. But that's the wrong question. The right question is, what do you know? What can you do? And what have you experienced? If Jesus calls us and says, you are to be my witnesses, then I guess we don't need a law degree to stand up and speak in court. A witness is going to have an have a, a extremely powerful voice in a court, isn't it? But a lawyer has to have a a degree? Well, I guess you could self-represent. But many of us think we're, we're, we're disqualified from speaking in this space or in this relationship or at work or even with our own families or friends because of what we don't have and what we don't know and what we haven't experienced. But if you've been walking with, you remember the story of the woman who meets Jesus in John chapter 4 and then evangelizes her entire village? How long did she walk with Jesus before she evangelized that village? Hmm. So if you have any encounter with Jesus, you're already qualified to give that away. You've been walking with the Lord 15 minutes or a week or a year. You're not called to give away what you don't have and what you don't know and what you haven't experienced. You're called to bear witness to what you do know and what you do have and what you have experienced. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, you're qualified and you already have something to say. You plus Jesus is more than enough. When uh, Dale Mass came, he had, I think, was it Carl? Who did he have stand up here? He, when Dale Mass came and taught at DTS, he had Carl stand up front and he said, You know, can I have your wallet? And then Carl, being the trusting man that he is, handed him his wallet. And he said, I could take your credit cards and I could take your cash. And that really wouldn't do much because you can simply call the bank, cancel the cards. It's just petty cash. It's replaceable. If you, know, if you can prove who you are, you can go to the bank and you can withdraw more, more of your stuff from your accounts. But if I really want to mess with you, instead of taking your credit cards and taking your cash, what am I going to take? I'm going to take your driver's, your driver's license and your keys. Because if I take your driver's license and your keys, you might not now even be able to use your credit cards. You can't get into your car, even though it's yours. You're going to have to break into your car, and then you're going to have to jump it. And then, and then you're going to have to break into your own house. And how are you going to get any more money out of the bank if you can't prove you're you? You can't even access your stuff if you can't prove you're you. And his point was this. Our authority comes from Jesus, and our identity comes from Jesus, and our authority is closely tied to our identity. So if you're the enemy of the people of God, what are you going to try to steal? So Dale basically said the devil's into identity theft. If you can steal the gospel from the mind of the believer so that we don't know who we are in Christ, then even though we have access to the intimacy of God and all the resources of heaven to fulfill our calling on the world and bring the kingdom We're not going to do it. We won't be able to access what's actually ours unless we have our identity and our authority lined up correctly. That's why this matters to me. That's why this thing of you finding your voice matters to me. And this is why I'm saying you will find your voice in Christ. You will find it not through self-seeking, but through seeking Jesus. If your life, your real life, Paul says in Colossians 3, is hid with Christ in God, then where are you going to look to find you? You're going to find it in him, not directly, but indirectly. You're actually not going to purpose to say, I'm going to find me. You're going to purpose to find him, and then he's going to tell you who you are. And you're going to find your voice there. So another principle is, this is, I'm not even going to preach about this, but I'll throw it out there just to say this. The way to get stuff from our head into our heart is through our hands. You've got to change your practices and behavior. It's funny that Jesus said that your words are an expression of your heart. And so you would think that what you you would think that, that you just gotta focus on the heart. But what he actually says in Luke 1, 2, 3, 4, and Luke 12, 34, is that where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So whatever gets your time and attention gets your affection. Whatever gets your time and attention gets your affection. All right. And your connection. And it changes your inflection and your direction. And when you see it in the inspection, I love Heidi Baker. I remember her talking about showing up at a conference and everyone's scheduled to speak and it's big, important people. And she saw how smart they all were and how intellectual they were. And she said they all got notes and quotes. Notes and quotes. She said, I ain't got no notes in quotes. I just show up and say, okay, God, now what? Who knows? Something's going to happen. It's going to be crazy. She's looking around the room and she's going, I'm in the wrong room. Because she was comparing herself to those people and saying, since I'm not like them, I'm not enough. She got over it. God wrecked the place. I love, I love her. One time I was in a meeting and Heidi was leading the meeting and instead of speaking, she basically just... Just did a comedy routine for a good hour, making fun of all of us for our issues. It was so healing. It was hilarious. She broke us down into three groups and then made fun of all the groups. And we were like, yes, Lord Jesus. And at the end, I just got plowed and restored to fellowship with Jesus in ways that I didn't even know I was missing. Now, did she have any of that planned out? Of course not. She's Heidi. She doesn't know what she's doing. She doesn't hardly know her own name half the time. I love that woman. She's 100% 100 convinced that Jesus is going to do what he wants to do if she'll just get out of the way and do what he says. And that's her strategy, that's her plan. She doesn't have another plan. Now, she's not an administrator. It doesn't mean that if you don't think like her in all ways, you're not spiritual. It doesn't mean that the people who had the notes and quotes were not following the Holy Spirit. It just means that she's supposed to be her, not them. And they're supposed to be them, not her. So anyway, she was like in the middle of this talk and she said, I could tell the Holy Spirit was just repeating to her over and over. So she kept saying over and over to us, Originals are priceless. Copies are worthless. Originals are priceless. Copies are worthless. I think she was on her knees while she was saying it. Originals are priceless. Copies are worthless. You got to be you, baby. Everybody else is already taken. And I started thinking about that. Sorry, last night I researched. I'm like, how much does Van Gogh's Starry Night worth? Anyone want to guess? A hundred million. How much do you think I could buy a framed copy of it for? Fifty bucks. How much do you think I could get a poster of it for? Five bucks. Why is that original so expensive? Because it's an original. So here, here's a question for you. If you're God's handiwork, Ephesians chapter 2, if you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus with a specific purpose on the earth, How have you been appraised? What's your value? Can you imagine? You're worth the blood of Jesus. That's how you and I have been appraised. Not 100 million. Now, can you imagine taking that Van Gogh and saying, oh, a canvas, sweet, and then painting over that? Imagine me doing that with one of my, like, efforts. Efforts. graciously call it an effort, give it a gold star, an effort was made. Imagine you shutting down who you were made to be to copy other people and never finding the expression, the unique expression of beauty and intimacy God designed out of that union of you and Him with no one watching. Freedom happens, joy happens, identity happens, power happens, and then you pour yourself out for the sake of others, putting the real you on display. Oh my goodness, are you crazy? They're going to hate on it. Of course they are. Not everyone's going to like you. Of course they're not. What if I get hurt? You will. But you're already hurting sitting at home not being you anyway. There's no pain-free path. There's just life. So get on with it. All right. My cousin Jeremy and I, we really like each other. I sometimes think, man, he's such a humble, merciful, kind, don't-rock-the-boat, eloquent leader. If I was mature, if I was just more like Jeremy, I could get it done. And then he says, you're such a powerful, explosive, brave, creative person willing to rock the boat. If I was like him, I could get it done. And then we hug and tell each other, you're awesome and I like you. I like Jeremy and he likes me. But when our insecurities get the best of us, we wish we were each other. When we're functioning in a health, we just say, you're weird. I like you. Have you ever heard me do the benediction at the end of a sermon? Keep being weird? This is what I'm talking about. It, it's going to glorify Jesus so much when you embrace the weird. The only normal people are the people you just don't know very well yet. <laughs> Everybody's weird. All right, I'm going to give you 10 questions and then, and then I'll be done. The accidental creative asks 10 questions to help, you help us find our voice if you don't maybe know you know, what that even looks like. Question one, what makes you angry? What makes you angry? What just ticks you off? That ain't right. Something ought to be done. Maybe you're called to do something. Maybe that's part of your voice. Number two, what makes you cry? It's just so beautiful. It's just so beautiful. It's just so terrible. That's something important. Maybe that's something you're called to. Number three, what have you mastered? What are you really good at? You've put in the time. Number four, what brings you hope? What brings you hope? That might be something you're meant to stay and stuck to and not move away from. Number five, when you were a little kid, what did you dream about growing up to be? What was it, Amber? Loud or what? Oops. I did it again. Okay, so, I wanted to be Michael Jackson. I can't even moonwalk. Tries to moonwalk, sprains two ankles, breaks hip. As a kid, what did you dream about growing up to be, and why? Number six, if you had limitless time and money... They say money can't buy happiness, but I watch their mood improve when I hand them dollar bills. That was a joke. You can relax. If you had limitless time and limitless money, what would you do? That's a great question. Remove the limitations from your brain and figure out what you're called to. Number seven, if this happened it would blow your mind, fill in the blank, what this is. And I mean blow your mind like you'd be like, this is the best thing ever. If this happened in my relationships, it would blow my mind. If this happened at work, this would blow my mind. If this happened in my family, this would blow my mind. If this happened in my ministry, this would blow my mind. What is it? That might be a clue. Number eight, where do you already have a platform? Where can you already make a difference in people's lives? Number nine, what is the change you want to see in the world? What is the change you want to see in the world? And number ten, if this was your last day, say, no, tomorrow you're going to heaven, today's your last day, what would you spend your last day doing? All righty. Why don't we have the prayer team come up, and I'm going to uh, pray. One of these days, I better preach a whole sermon called, I'm a wild donkey. (laughs) Because that's the scariest prophetic word the Lord ever gave me, was when he said, you are a wild donkey of a man. And I thought, that's the worst thing anyone's ever said to me, I knew it, I'm terrible. It turns out the whole thing was the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. And it was a huge encouragement to keep being weird. All right, go ahead and stand. May you embrace the weird. May you find Jesus and in him your true calling and the true shape of your life. May you bear much fruit, find much freedom, and bring it forth into the world that Jesus might get glory and his kingdom might come on earth as it is in heaven. And God's people said, Go Rams!